When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Thursday, January 27th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 445 featuring the one and only Seth Landman. If you don't know him, you should. It's powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Well, you know, one thing I really like on Celtics Beat is being able to jump into these shows and say, look, everything's fixed. This is great. Well, here we are again. Celtics have won their last two. They've won seven of ten. They're once again a game over 500. They love to, you know, really straddle that line. And uh, Jason Tatum is is now shooting flamethrowers out of his hands. He's hitting so many three-pointers. Forget that 0 for 20. He's like 16 of his last 28. This is Celtics beat. It's not going to be all positive, but we are going to start positive. we got a lot to get into. I'm Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, and joining us here on this show. He's been on with us before, not as a uh, a featured solo guest, but he has been mentioned certainly <laughs> numerous times. He's come on at the end of shows before. He's our guy. He's kind of kind of the the voice of the fan. I figure look, if if Bill Simmons, maybe you guys have heard of him, if Bill Simmons can, you know, make all his buddies house and all these guys famous, I can at least make some of my friends slightly less anonymous. Seth Landman comes on this show here. He has covered uh fantasy basketball for ESPN in the past. He is as devoted as uh diehard, but rational and analytical <laughs> a Celtics fan as you could hope to meet and come across. And if you don't believe it, just listen to this show. How are you, bud? Oh, I'm good. I'm rational about the Celtics. I don't know if I'm rational about other things in life, but well, I think I was I, fairly specific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In, good, in good, how good, I good. outlined that. Yeah, what I want to yeah. know is how do I get house's job? Cause house, I, I have this, uh, mm-hmm. what does house do? What does Joe house? actually do other than like i didn't even on, know he had a first name until you just said <laughs> and go on a couple of pods like i love the i've been listening to the the ring of the gambling show with uh warren sharp and he just like sends people like pies in the mail i would take I a pie in the mail i know i know where, i don't know where my pie is but like basically all he does is like gamble go on podcasts and eat food which is basically what i would like my life to be like play golf <laughs> Eat food podcast. If that was my life, I would be set. That's all I need in life. That's it. Well, you know, it's, I, I, I'm just, I'm happy we have this platform. I was thinking about this the other day because Seth, we had, we had B Rob, we had Brian Rob on the last show and of course Forsberg and all these guys that, that host podcasts of, of their own Celtics or NBA themed. You know, they're always so generous with their time. 
Sean Devaney, others, you know, the, they'll come on this show, they'll chat with us. And we were talking to B Rob and he mentioned that Rich Levine on the, you know, winning plays podcast, part of the CLNS family, Rich is kind of, I don't know, been on sabbatical. I don't have a clue what Rich does outside of that podcast. I haven't caught up with him in so long, but he has not really been doing the pod lately. So B Rob's kind of had this, this rotation of guests or co-hosts or, or whatever it's been. He's like, Oh, I got, you know, we got to get you guys on next. And I, that got me thinking, like, <laughs> I, I think people, I don't know about you, Ev, I think people like me just enough to come on my podcast, but not quite enough to invite me on theirs. Huh. <laughs> I've been on you know? a few, I'm on, a, I'm on a few Celtics pods as a guest. I've been on see, a Maybe couple, you should be hosting this show. But I'm not like, I, and I'm like, I'm, I'm flattered. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's great. And it gets me a chance to just do unfiltered takes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you're asking me this question. I guess I can just throw some fun out there. You never know. But like, uh, it is it is kind of fun to be in the guest chair, like where Landman is sure. right now, because you're gonna sit back and have just have co- things come at you, and you can just answer. It's fun. It's a good time. I suggest if everybody. It is what's funny is like, I will point this out. You could be Landman. You ever listening, watching this podcast? <laughs> you could be Landman. Oh man, you careful! You're points. gonna lose all your listeners you're here. Making up good points, and you. I'm it's like the hamster. The hamster fell off the wheel in his head. But right. dear God, don't wish that upon your worst yeah, enemy. Please be careful. No, <laughs> I think we're all just like so hungry. This is like these po- Celtics podcasts. It's like this is like Celtics therapy. Basically, we're all just like trying to work through what's going on with this team and why they're not what we hoped. You know, like yeah, I think that's what what's going on here. There's just a lot of hunger for it. Here's where they're at. Like I said, they've won seven out of 10. They're now eighth in the East. Of course, they, they're doing exactly what we said last show and previous shows they had to do, which is blow out the bad competition. You know, they don't play down to your competition as they've been doing for years at this point or narrowly squeak by in these games. And I'm not saying go out and win by an average of 40 plus points either, but you know, win, win convincingly, be able to take your starters out at the end, have a little Gino time, get some time for the reserves. That's what they've twice been doing. In row, twice in a row, twice in a row on the road. In DC, and then of course back home against the Kings, who were you know without their best player in De'Aaron Fox, but still there were some guys out there, and uh, and and you go out and embarrass them, which was wonderful. So now they're eighth in the East, they're four games out of six, so still an uphill climb, uh, and they've they've got this two game trip starting in Atlanta, then New Orleans that begins on Friday, but. You know, I, I think one thing that is important to note, and of course, I tweeted this out very late last night. And it got, you know, a, a fair amount of attraction from detractors saying like, all right, here come the excuses. But here's the reality. I'm just like presented without comment. Here is the reality. The Celtics have only because of COVID and injuries and every team has dealt with this this year. This is not Boston specific by any means, but the Celtics have played 49 games. They have only had their preferred starting five, of course, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, for 14 games. And in those 14 games, they are nine and five. What we are seeing here, obviously, Seth, is that this is a team that, again, perfect scenario if they had their guys more often than not. They're absolutely a team capable of being a top four team, top five team in the Eastern Conference. Hasn't broken that way for a number of reasons that do go beyond the floor. They go to the sidelines and a first year head coach and Ime Odoka and roster construction, which comes back to Brad Stevens and so many other different types of things. But are you over these last couple of games or even over the last 10 where again, they've won seven? Are you seeing signs that it's like, all right. This isn't, you know, all these extremists out there that say we got to blow this thing up, trade one of your stars, 
Get rid of Marcus Smart, and we'll save that because you had a thread on that the other day. But just the bigger picture stuff, do we not need to be as panicked? Well, I think the smart thing is related. I mean, like, I think what you're seeing is that this team, um, first of all, they defend no matter what. They they do that, like, they've done that this year, even when things haven't been going well, to be honest. I mean, like, they've been a top five, like, aside for that from those first couple of weeks, they've been like a top five defense for like basically the whole season. So I think that's part of it. And I think what you see, like when smart comes back in the lineup in these games where they have everybody healthy is that the defense is actually special, which I think is, is why heading into the season, a lot of people who are smart about this stuff had these guys as like a top four or five team in the East. Um, I think, I, I don't think any of us thought it was going to be like easy for them on offense but that I think we had this idea going into the season that on defense, they could be actually like special, not just really good, but like kind of an elite unit. Um, and so I think that's what we're seeing over, over the stretch. I mean, like when you look at the numbers, like with smart in the game, it's just crazy that not only are that, is that how they're winning, but they're winning, like that's how they're blowing teams out. It's not by like scoring a ton of points. It's just by locking the other team down. Yeah, and you look at the plus minuses of mm. just Marcus Smart the past games, and Gorman talked about it like all the time in the game against the Kings, and him and Scal went back and forth. Marcus is what plus seventy two in his last two games. It's seventy two in two games, yeah, which is absolutely outrageous. Now again, <laughs> consider the competition, obviously, but the bigger point being what Marcus Smart unlocks when he's healthy on the team, and they're using him in the right way, and. I'll let I'll save some of that for Seth later on in the show to talk about the importance of Marcus Smart and why trading him I think is a really dumb idea. However, the one thing I also want to point out is something that Steve Bolpet has been tweeting about quite often, and I've said it privately with a lot of different people. Like once the threes start hitting for Jason Tatum, this was going to be a whole different level of player because what I have seen, and I'm sure both of you will back me up on this, from Tatum over the past, I don't know let's call it 10-ish games. And if you want to go further than that, by all means, do that. Tatum's assist numbers are on a really good trajectory. I believe over his last 10, they're hovering around 5.2 per game. So Tatum, you know, if you took the scoring out, you know, about five assists a game, about seven rebounds a game, and then you throw up the the points in there, I think he was roughly around like 20-ish. He starts hitting a couple of threes a game. Now you're talking about somebody who's averaging 31, 7, and 5. And that's a really productive player when you consider the quote unquote LeBron is 27, seven and seven. Like that's like LeBron's career average, which is in its own right, a ridiculous stat, but like Tatum is very, very close or was at the time, very close for being an, a really elite level player because of what he's added as a passer. So now that he's hitting threes. Now you're seeing the full spectrum of what Tatum can really be. And that, for me, has been a huge difference over the past month is what Tatum's been able to do as a playmaker. I know the shot hasn't fallen, and I was so not concerned about that because of how good of a shooter he is. But the playmaking stuff is so, so, so important. And you see what unlocks, Adam, as they've been able to run up and down the floor. Uh, the double team that he had the other night against Sacramento where he's literally at half court on the left side by the left hash and threw a pass cross court to Josh Richardson in the corner, and he buried the three. Like, that's the kind of stuff that unlocks everything. And as Lamont talked about in terms of their offense, it makes their offense so much easier to get. 
and it makes life so much easier. Uh, that has been the biggest difference to me over the past couple of games is Tatum just being a whole other different player right now. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, Tatum's pa- – I think Tatum's passing is where this team – that's like the area uh, – it's like the biggest point of what they need to be truly great. Like that's – if Tatum can turn into like uh, – to go from kind of like an average passer from for his position or for like how much he uses the ball – to an elite one that would really like turn things around for this offense. And I think, I think part of it is when he's passing the, when he's looking to pass or when he's, when he's interested in getting off the ball quickly, I think you see him sort of go into this like problem solving mode where he like, he's finding um, where he can move to on the court to get an easier look for somebody else. I mean, these guys like Tatum and Brown get a ton of criticism uh, re- recently it was Jackie McMullen criticizing them about this, but like it happens all the time where they get criticized for not making their teammates better. And I think it's fair in a lot of ways. I mean, like neither of them get, I mean, their assist numbers look okay until you realize that they're both using like a huge number of possessions to get there. Like they're both incredibly high usage players and to have two guys like that on one team, um, unless they're getting just like an absolute ton of assists, it just like, not everyone is going to be involved enough in what's going on. And I think when Tatum starts like feeling it a little more as a passer, you see him sort of like getting into like handoff situations with people or like screening for like using his shooting as a threat to screen for people in better ways. And like, I just think his, like um, we've seen this from him before, like where he'll have these stretches where he looks like a genius out there. And that's like, more consistency around it. That is what they need to be like a, a really good offense and a good defense. Well, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but is the answer then just based on everything you just said and the high usage and not necessarily making guys around them better at this stage, not to say they can't get there obviously. And hopefully they will. They're not even remotely entering their primes yet. They're so young, right. but is the answer to split them up? Not because you don't believe in one versus the other, but roster construction truly build around one or is it to surround these two guys these two all-stars these two you know high caliber potential all nba guys perennially at that with something that they're not being surrounded by by brad stevens and danny ainge before that i mean i would argue not only are they not being surrounded by enough shooting to leverage the fact that they're such high usage players they're also not even being surrounded with like um in, in some lineups with enough passing, I mean, I think the reason the starting lineup works so well, even though you have these two bigs out there who aren't hitting shots from outside is because Willie, Rob and, uh, and Horford are both like really good passers. Um, and when you have those guys out there with smart, I mean, frankly, that four man group even works with Schroeder too, who's not a good passer. Um, and it's because like, then, then you have four guys who are seeing the floor a little bit, but when it's, when it's just Tatum and Brown and one of those guys out there, it's just like Tatum and Brown aren't special enough as passers to be like, really make it that that's when you start seeing everything just get like so bogged down. And it like, if you're someone who watches basketball around the league, you just notice the way other teams get these get easy looks from time to time. And it feels like the Celtics, just everything always feels like such a slog on offense for these guys. And like, they have these two dudes who are incredible one-on-one scorers like tough shot makers they can do it they can they can like grind out enough points to win with their good defense even when it's not going super well but like 
man, you'd love to see life get a little easier for these guys. And you sent and, me a text. Well, well, you sent me a text yesterday that I I then posted on Twitter because I just thought it was kind of funny. Like you know, today in sobering Celtics thoughts, it said the Celtics for the last two weeks are sixth in offense, fifth in defense, second in net rating. Of course, in the NBA, yeah. and they're five and three. So, you know. What I mean, I, it's a very small sample, clearly, and anything, you know, you can blow a game any number of different ways. It's not sure. But you hear numbers like that and you would think seven and one, six and two, you know, five and three is not what you think of damn yeah. near 500, obviously. So what you know, what's at the root of the problem? What to you is as you look at it from a, you know, an, an informed analytical mind? What what is the issue? What is going wrong here, be it throughout or just late in games? Well, and I'll anticipate that like some people would say, well, they had two blowouts against bad teams, but those are like, I got those stats from cleaning the glass and they're filtering out garbage time and stuff. So like, I think, I think you're right. You're, you'd be right to expect a better record. And I, I do think it comes down to like, um, you, you don't necessarily need to have an elite offense, but you need to be able to like reliably go get a bucket when things aren't going well. And the Celtics only way of doing that is through isolation, right? Like they don't, um, they're great out of timeouts. Like when, when they, when they have a chance to like go sit down and draw up a play, they actually do pretty well. But I think, I think the, they rely on these two guys to like a, such a high degree that it, that the rest of the players aren't empowered. And so when a defense comes out and, and double teams those guys or makes life miserable for them, the the rest of the guys like aren't ready to be in a situation where they're able to like pick up the slack and make a play. I mean, like, I don't know. You see like guys, I I see this when I watch the Warriors a lot, like a player like Juan Toscano Anderson, like gets the ball on a closeout and he like, he feels empowered to attack, like to make a play on his own without having to like wait to kick back to Steph Curry or something. And I think, like, it's not that he's necessarily a better offensive player than some of the guys that we have, like, lining the rest of the roster uh, around these guys. But I do think there's a lack of confidence that comes with not being given the chance to do things. Um, and so I think, like, w- when stuff gets bogged down at the end of close games, they're going to lose a lot of those games until they figure out a way to make their players who aren't as good feel like they can do stuff out there. Yeah, I, we'll get to more from uh, Evan real quick. Just uh, I want to tell you this show is brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online. Of course, wishing you a happy new betting year as we continue to march on through the NFL playoffs. Of course, NBA, NHL seasons, baseball. If there is a season, you got futures odds there, and so much more. Bet Online, the top spot for all the best sports wagering wagering action for 2022. New year, new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today, receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Of course, you. You can use uh, our promo code at CLNS50 to get you started. We encourage that you do. Again, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, boxing, UFC, golf, NASCAR, you name it. Your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers here in 2022 and obviously beyond. Bet online the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite bets. And uh, very quickly, before we do get back to basketball, Evan, we're down to conference championship weekend in the NFL. You got two games, of course. The Chiefs and who would have guessed Bengals in the AFC and Jimmy Garoppolo, that handsome devil, and his Niners are back at it against the Rams in the NFC. What are the expectations here? Well, 
Look, it's hard to follow up last weekend with anything because last week was the most incredible weekend in like a football history. Um, and I look, everybody's going to probably bang the uh, the Chiefs this week, rightfully so. Um, but I'll just tell you this: if you want to have some fun and don't, you know, just to have some fun, a Cincinnati Niners two uh, two team parlay just with the money line is plus eight ninety three. Okay. <laughs> I, I would do that just to have some fun. Um, it's been a weird year for underdogs this year. They were, they started out hot and then cooled off a little bit towards the end of the season. Um, Joe Burrow covers a lot. So if you want to take that plus seven, not a bad idea. The, the heavy money is going to be on Kansas City. Um, and I think you'll see money come in on the, on the Niners probably at the end of the week and more towards game time. I think people like the Niners. Uh, but I would take both dogs and just have fun. Don't rip, you don't go serious about it, but the payout is huge if you get it right. So yeah, take both dogs. And, 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 Plus, and whatever Joe it. Burrow's passing prop is, over. What it, whatever it is, over. How about right. stacks taken by Joe Burrow? I'd probably be – I'd take the over on that too. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I've got plenty more for Seth, but I'll let you go here. Well, it was uh, we were just getting into a, a few things about – this team and this offense and everything and, 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 and how, and I think Seth's kind of right. They have two guys that, that demand the ball a lot. They don't do a lot to make everybody feel involved throughout the game. So at the end of the game, it just really, it's, you know, name the player, but like, just, let's just say Grant Williams in the corner, like get the closeout comes a little too quick. He doesn't feel totally confident. So he gives it right back to Tatum, which probably puts him in a bad situation. It's probably towards the end of the shot clock. He's probably going to take a step back three-pointer with a guy in his face, and he just hope for the best. So there's a little bit of fine-tuning needs to happen, and I'm sure we'll get into Ime's part in all this later on uh, a little bit as well, and how he can help best put those two guys in you know positions to succeed by surrounding him with the right guys at the right time. But this team has taken off a little bit. And I would say, even though the, the five and three is their record, I'm almost at this point, because how the season is gone, more of a process over results guy. Because what we're seeing is definitely different than what we saw early on this year. Yeah. Which is encouraging. I, I the, the off now they have spacing issues still, and they still have guys running into each other out there on offense, which drives me up a wall at this point because we're halfway through the year. And yet people still don't know where to go on offense, so that's an issue. But I see less of that, which is great. I see more of the empowerment that Seth talked about, but it's like Tatum transferring it to other guys. I mean, the, the, and I hate to use the Sacramento game as an example, because that was such a terrible game for Sacramento. <laughs> uh, you know, it almost, you don't want to look at it, but some of the things they're able to do, they sped the game up. They got out in transition. They attacked in transition. They used their defense to fuel their transition. Uh, they, it's and, and Dennis, God, I'm going to kill Dennis for this. He's the only guy that rolls the ball up to half court and then picks it up. Every other time when Smart's on the floor, they're they're running into their sets. They're they're playing with more pace. It just looked a lot more competent than it did a month ago. And can I give can I give you some stats about what you yes, just said? Absolutely. Okay. Because this this comes back to Smart too. I think like um, okay. So I've been like you guys know I've been complaining about the transition transition with this team all year, and like mm-hmm. the, to some extent they've figured out the defense stuff. They're, they're like basically average. But like on offense, they just are, first of all, they never get into transition in the first place. So I looked this up. They're 25th in frequency. So they're one of the worst teams in the league in like chances in transition, 27th in points per possession in transition. So 
they they don't get into transition at all and then when they do get there they're terrible at converting <laughs> and then they're and they're bad in both like they're bad off steals and they're bad off live ball re, like rebounds so but then i was looking up the stats like with smart on and shooter off and vice versa with shooter on and smart off and the truth is when smarts on the floor they get out in transition and when shooters on the floor, they never do, despite the fact that they actually create a bunch of turnovers when shooters on the floor. So I just think he's quicker than everybody else. Like that's yeah, his, his he doesn't use quick. it. He really doesn't use it. So like I I know like I, there was a part of me that was excited when he got here. I don't I think I had like watched him a lot because I I like hate watch a lot of Lakers games, but like I don't think I knew like how how bogged down he gets on offense. He just like he's a little too deliberate. And he's not a good passer. And that combination of things, especially when you put them with Jalen and Jason, who like are great players, but struggle with those things a bit themselves. I mean, this team plays a slow pace, right? Like it's a thing that drives us a little crazy about these guys because they're not playing a slow pace the way like Jokic's nuggets are playing. Like they play a slow pace, but it's because they're like whipping the ball around and looking for the best shot. And like, nobody's holding it for more than a second or two. The, that's not what you get when you watch the Celtics, right? It's like a slow pace and people are just kind of holding it. And I think that kind of stuff is just like death for offense, especially in crunch time. Especially yeah, for, unfortunately, unfortunately, Jaylen Brown was top three in transition points last year, wasn't he? Yeah, no, he's pretty good in transition. Criminal. But like, it's criminal offense. <laughs> if you, if yeah. you have a top three transition player in the league, you should probably play to that person's strengths. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of that sort of it's it stole my thunder because I was just going to ask you the point blank question of why do you hate Dennis Schroeder? I mean, I just like I think he has some utility. Let me start with the positive, maybe. Like, can I just say like one kind thing? Like, I do think <laughs> sure, like the one. in a one on one situation, he can break somebody down off the dribble. He's not going to like score efficiently once he does that, but he can like get by them. But like. I really think, I don't know, like you look up like cleaning the glass does like your assist rate, but like as a, like compared to your usage rate, he's like one of the worst guys in the league with this. Like for, for a point guard who uses as many possessions as he does, it's crazy how few assists he gets. And I just think it's like, it's not that he's even like a selfish player. He's just so deliberate that by the time he makes a decision, like you have these like microsecond advantages in basketball. And if you pause, they're gone. And the defense has like, these are NBA defenses. They recover immediately from mistakes they make. And I think he's just not good enough at like figuring out how to take advantage of a mistake. I I guess I would say that Rob, he wants to come back next year. Yeah. I saw. So in that uh, B-Rob called him a, like a fast paced player or something. I'm not seeing it. Like, um, <laughs> I'm like terrified he's going to come back. I like, I think the idea was like when we signed, when the Celtics signed him to that $5.9 million contract with the, uh, like the mini mid level or whatever, uh, the taxpayer mid level, there was this idea we definitely wouldn't be able to resign him because we wouldn't be able to offer him enough in a, as an, in an extension for it to be worth his while. I think right. like the point B Rob was making is that he's like, the ultimate There's no other there money this, around the league right now. And he's, he's underperformed to the point that like, he's not getting more. The Celtics can, could offer him a raise at like 7.1 million. He's not getting a bigger contract than that somewhere else. Like no other team is going to like 
risk hard capping themselves to sign Dennis. I can't like, I look around the league for like trade options for, for him, like even just giving him away for a second round pick. I can't really find a team that I don't know what team Dennis Schroeder solves the problem for. Like Chicago is my only hope right now. I said this, yeah. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks. Like, yeah. Are we sure there's a trade partner out there for Dennis Schroeder? Are we positive about this? I've texted Coffin about this because I'm not positive anybody wants this guy. But I'm I mean, hoping- if you're, Go if ahead. you're Chicago, do you want to pl- do you even want to play him over like Ao Desunmu at this point? Like, yeah, but you I don't- depth. They don't. They, they lost. You know, they have just no depth at guard now because Lonzo's yeah. out. What six to eight weeks? Yeah, six to eight. Right. So they already yeah. have a guard depth issue, and you're just hoping that like here's a free player. Here he is. Just have him. The tape yeah. he expires, like it's it. Here you go. Although like, the point B Rob was making in his story for anyone that hasn't read it is was basically okay, let's say you can get a team to take him off your hands for a second round pick and it opens the door for Peyton Pritchard and all the stuff that we've been talking about for you know months on this show. Are you really better off when you have a guy that can give you, you know, 20 plus a game? I think he's averaging 19 a game when he's a starter, you know, when he is subbed in for smart, when he's been out there, he's, and he's shooting damn near 50% from the field. You know, you're, you're trying to be competitive. You're not looking to tank for the lottery and all that stuff. I mean, it may happen anyway, but you're not looking for that outcome. So if that's the case, are you really better off moving him? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think it's like a less is more proposition here. Like this has always been the problem with counting stats. It's like this, this is how you end up with Ennis Cantor on your roster or Ennis Freedom on your roster. Like you pay too much attention to how many points a game someone scores and you don't realize like the, the, what they're costing you in other ways. Well, yeah. And I think Isaiah Thomas in the fourth quarter defensively, basically. That's one thing. So like this, the Celtics want to switch on defense and Schroeder makes that like, I think Schroeder's actually a pretty good defender against point guards. He's just like not big enough to be part of like a scheme where he might get like switched on to somebody who's going to just take him down into the post. And so like, that's one part of the problem. But the other part of the problem is that this team is just like crying out for someone who can make quick decisions with the ball. (laughs) And so I think you like, you take him out, like he's able to be successful in lineups in like that starting lineup where he replaces smart, for example, when smart is injured, like in a lineup where like you have good isolation scorers, good offensive rebounding, like other guys who are like really great defenders. Like, of course he's going to be good in a lineup like that. Like he can attack a closeout if, if somebody's like double teamed and kicks the ball to him. But like what you see with smart, for example, just, just like, take another like a a good defensive point guard who moves the ball and just takes open shots. And what you see is like that guy is able to succeed with a higher percentage of the lineups that you're going to have to be using, like with different kinds of players. And so I, I think like Schroeder's like whatever it is, like 15 points a game and then 19 as a starter. It's like, it sounds good, but it, I just think you get more, um, you get more with other guys in that space. Like I'd, I would rather see like what, what happens if you play like Richardson at the one, like in a, in like a really big lineup with Tatum and Brown or like what happens if you, if you use like, if you, even if you just use Peyton, like when's, when does Peyton Pritchard or Aaron Neesmith get a chance to play with those four really good players and see what happens if you just like add somebody who's just like a, a standstill or a movement shooter with those guys. Like, I just, I just think we're not like exhausting the research with this team. I want to see some more op- options. 
You know what it makes me think of? So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I my career started broadcasting minor league hockey. And the first uh, yeah. team that I ever worked for was this team that doesn't exist anymore, the Motor City Mechanics in the United Hockey League AA, okay? And so it was it was the 0405 season. It was the NHL lockout year. And this team, because it wanted to make a splash, it was an expansion team, had all sorts of money, filthy rich owner, again, only lasted a couple of years before they, you know, ran that pot dry. But they went out and they signed all these NHL players, Chris Chelios, Darian Hatcher, Brian Smolinski, Sean Avery, to be on this team to for attention, for PR. But I bring this up for this reason. You reminded me of it in saying Peyton Pritchard, because whenever this team went on the power play, of mm. course, you know, man advantage against everybody else, whenever they went on the power play, they put those four NHLers, a couple of future Hall of Famers in there. They put those four, four guys on the ice along with this guy, Jared Ross, out of Alabama Huntsville. You know, undrafted, never heard of him, never like a rookie just out of college was never. I mean, I think he got to AAA ultimately, but was never, you know, going to sniff like going to an NHL game, let alone obviously, you know, the kinds of careers those guys had. But you know what? When he played with them, freaking guy had like two points a game on average it was unbelievable this is what we this is the opportunity we need to give Peyton Pritchard let him have his moment with all these young guys I mean like I think this team has like the front office over the last few years has rightly caught some flack for some of these middle of the first round picks I think like that sort of ignores the fact that they like nailed the most important picks they had to make which were Tatum and Brown and and they also got Rob Williams at 27 but like they have like it does feel like they've sort of blown these ones that are in the middle, like in the 14 range. But like, have we, like you draft for Neesmith's a good example. You draft this guy specifically because he's got a skill set as a shooter, but like, when are you putting him out there in a lineup where that's all he has to do in order to succeed? So like it, in order for a player to expand their role, they either have to like succeed in a small role and get bigger or get like immediately put into the role you want them to succeed in. And I don't think we've seen that with really any of these young guys. I don't like what's Pritchard a bit is, last year. What's weird is they did that with Tatum and Brown. I know with Tatum's role when he first got to Boston and now granted it's a different something team, Kyrie Hayward, uh, you know, uh, way different team, but those two guys are on the team. And obviously you can make it easier for Tatum by just having him be literally a corner three point shooter. Yep. I'll never forget it. I, it was the game against, like, I think Atlanta early on in Tatum's career where he was basically a standstill shooter in the corner. He made a couple. It was like, yeah, that's that's all they need to do right now is to space the floor correctly and and shoot open shots or attack closeouts if that happens to be the case. They're not – like, I feel bad. And this is why, like, I feel bad for Neesmith. People are trying to throw – like, and I saw – I think it might have been Jake Fisher today had a, a report where – Boston's looking yeah, at him and Schroeder. They're Schroeder being shot. And Neesmith, maybe, to see if there's any interest there. And I said, man, man already, we're already trying to move off shoot, uh, of, of Neesmith already. We haven't even seen what he can even really do. And yeah. I, I got uh, some of my mentions was like, well, he can't shoot. I'm like, well, he hasn't. How do we know? The opportunity to really shoot. Like, yeah. not, he, in garbage time against the Kings, I hate bringing this game up because it happened, but just recently, he got to actually like play an entire quarter like nonstop. And yeah, he had some rough looks at it, but he also scored like 10 or 12 points. So my point being, if you gave him more, and I like the fact that like 
has he played at all with Tatum Brown, Smart, and Rob Williams at the same time? Like, I don't not think really. Happened. No. So his only job is to switch on defense, space the floor, hit open threes. That's it. And I think if you give him the opportunity a couple of times more than never, that yeah. he might actually find some rhythm and be a, a good player for them. And this is the biggest biggest problem people have had with the Celtics over the past couple of months is like, and Simmons talks about it constantly, how, well, you look at Memphis and they have, you know, they have uh, Desmond Bain and, and, and Dylan Brooks and, and, and uh, slow mo and like all these guys that are playing with, there's a guy literally on Memphis. I'd never heard of before. And I don't even know what his name is anymore uh, who played there. And I couldn't even believe who the hell that guy was, but he was a, an effective player and it, it worked because it's like, yeah, they, they put their guys out like, Taylor Jenkins puts guys on the floor that make a lot of sense. And that's my yeah. one issue here with a guy like Neesmith, a guy like Pritchard. Like Pritchard couldn't even get off the bench last night until it was a complete route. Why? Yeah. Why yeah. is that like like why does it take forever to get him off the bench? Like I watched him last year. You guys watched him last year. He was productive last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's driving me crazy. Well, and then on top of that, we don't really get to like oftentimes those so like it's gotten to the point that those garbage time minutes are going are when freedom's getting into the game and like so we're not even really seeing if these guys can play defense either because like (laughs) they have to play like a totally different kind of scheme because that guy can't do anything and like so i just think um you like first round picks are very valuable until the second that they're not anymore right like they have a ton of value in trades because teams can talk themselves into like all the different potential potentialities that could happen with that pick, but they lose. It's like driving a car off the lot. Like it loses value when you draft someone and then it loses even more value when that guy is in a role in a role that doesn't make sense for him or sucks. And so like, I'm not suggesting here that like Neesmith and Lankford and Pritchard are going to be good players. I'm saying that we don't, I don't feel like I know the answer to that question. Um, And I think like, yeah, I would love to see like what, what, you know, um, when I was complaining about like when I'm complaining about the smart versus shooter thing and saying that both those guys get to succeed when they get to play with Jalen, Jason, Rob, and Al, like, can I see Pritchard as the point guard in that lineup? Can I see that for like 20 minutes and see he's if like, best, he's the best shooter out of all those three guys. I mean, without, even, yeah. without question, paid Pritchard is the best. And if you're going to use Tatum as point Tatum and have yeah. him be the distributor, then right. you're just going to put your best three point shooter maybe on the team outside of Jason Tatum, like in the court, like life would be easy for him. And he's smart enough to, to be able to catch the ball and take a couple of dribbles and then figure something out. That's the only thing with Grant Williams that, and I'm not trying to pick on Grant because I think Grant's had a terrific year. But, Grant. Has, yeah. but like if Grant takes three dribbles, the next dribble, I'm already nervous. Like I, I, like I yeah. unless there's a wide open lane in the basket. He takes his fourth dribble. And I'm like, what are we doing here? If Pritchard has to improvise a little bit, he at least show, has shown the fact that he can. So, again, I, to get back to this whole thing of utilizing your players the correct way, like I just don't think we're quite there yet. We've seen some tinkering, and it gives me a little bit of hope, right, a little yep. bit, uh, but there's still more to go. And, I, and I'm, I'm hopeful that Ime has been able to watch some of these things with his own eyes and say, like, all right, yeah, like I can't rely on these vets anymore this particular way. I have to play certain guys different ways. and we have to change things. That has been encouraging too. So continuing with that theme for a moment, we won't go too much longer with the show here, but 
Uh, you know, for anyone that you should follow Seth on Twitter, Landman 33 tweets a lot about the Celtics, sometimes sarcastically, but he does tweet a lot about the Celtics that you had a, a lengthy eight part thread on Marcus Smart the other day that blew up pretty good. And uh, I, I was going to read the whole thing. I won't because Please we've don't. talked a lot. Of, yeah. Well, well and we've also <laughs> talked about a lot of the components of it anyway. So it would just be redundant. But one thing that we didn't really talk about is, you know, you're talking about just giving it an, an honest to goodness shot with Marcus Smart actually being the point guard yeah. as opposed to the shooting guard. And it just, it, it, it takes me back, I guess, to a, because we've been talking for years about how Marcus Smart, you know, say what you will about a shooting. He's a very good playmaker. He's a very good passer. He's very good in that role when given an opportunity. Is he along with maybe some other guys, but again, like I said, continuing with the theme, is he being mismanaged here? You know, for all the people that are like, get Marcus Smart the hell out of town, we're, you know, we're tired of it. You know, even like, you don't even need to, to, be this like Marcus Smart super fan and and you know like go get the 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 little like it it in this house we do not slander Marcus Smart block and all that so like you don't need to be that guy you can just appreciate what he does and what he does well and I feel like there are a lot of people that don't either because they don't watch the games and they just look at the box scores or because he's not being necessarily on a consistent basis used the right way yeah, I think there's a lot. First of all, what a like I was I found myself thinking this morning about what a good sport he's like. The guy has been in trade rumors like every year, right? And then on top of that, every base I feel like we go through this charade every year where we're like, okay, now Marcus Smart is going to have to play point guard, and then like suddenly he's not playing point guard again. Like I like it just it feels like this happens every year. And the truth is, I think you get a few so like forget smart as an offensive player for a minute. And like, fo- like defensively for the system that Ime Yudoka appears to want to be running and that involves a lot of switching. I just like, I feel like that's a way of leveraging Marcus smart as a player is that like for a point guard, he's gigantic and is like really capable of defending up the positional spectrum. And so if you, if you have him at the one, all of a sudden you have this like real weapon on defense where your switching schemes can make a lot more sense in a way that like having him at the two next to Schroeder or next to like Kemba Walker in the past, like you lose that, that option. And you know, smarts great at guarding shooting guards too, but it just like, it takes away a little bit of what could be special defensively. And then offensively, I just think he has never gotten enough credit for like, I think people don't pay enough attention to just like, basketball IQ and passing and like the quickness of decisions. And I think the reason the offense always seems to have a little bit better numbers with him out there than with him not out there comes down to those things. He's just like, he makes pretty good decisions. His shot profile this year is like everything's either within 10 feet or a three pointer. And so even though he's not a great shooter, he takes the shots that are worth the most value, right? Like He's not jacking up a bunch of long twos. Everything is inside at 10 feet or out at the three-point line. And then with those open threes, he doesn't like hem and haw about it and dribble a bunch, right? Like he catches the ball. No, he'll happily launch. Yeah, he (laughs) shoots the open ones, right? Like, and he'll like throw up the grenade at the end of the shot clock if he has to. Like, I, I think he's got pretty good awareness. And like, so I'm not out here saying that Marcus Smart is an elite offensive player. I'm saying you've built this team around two wings who have usage percentages over 30, like these enormous usage rates. And you don't, I think to bring in a point guard to act like you're going to bring in a point guard, who's going to like control everything and set up Tatum and Brown. I just think it's like 
missing how basketball works. Those guys are never, you're never going to get value out of those guys by having them give up the ball more. It's just not how it works. And so having a low usage point guard who makes good decisions and plays killer defense, that feels like a, as good as you're going to get around those two guys to me. Yeah, so, so the difference between Marcus Smart and Jalen Brunson is not a big gap at all considering Smart's defensive prowess. I mean, I love, I love Jalen Brunson. Don't be wrong. I love Brunson. But yeah, but like he yeah. doesn't add any value because you don't really want your point guard to be touching the ball that much anyway because of the way you've built this team. I would love Brunson as like a backup option. Um, but I think, you know, if he's at the, if he's at the one, you lose a lot of that. There's a reason this is a top five defense, right? Like, and that it, it has been most of the past few years, like, um, and smart is a huge part of that. And I think if you give, if you give that up, you there, I think, you know, you could, could you move up from like 22nd to 15th in offense maybe, but does that come with like moving down from fifth to 15th in defense? Like, and then you're just totally an average team without anything elite going on. I'm, I'm not sure that helps. So we always like to save our uh, our questioning of the head coach, Ime Odoka, for the end of the show. Mm. And this from uh, Jay King in The Athletic, of course, uh, a friend of the program as well. He, and and this is, Nesson had aggregated this article and just pulled a couple of quotes. But I'm, I'm looking at it here and it says, uh, you know, some inside the basketball community have uh, suspected Udoka's frequent public criticism might be driving a wedge between players and himself uh, part of the of uh, king's article outside league sources have wondered if he has gone too far already not just with the willingness to call out players but with the persistence of his criticism internal sources insist players appreciate that he has been so consistent with this message and have been open to his teaching so you know it's the the whole inside outside uh but it it speaks to i i often joke with evan like celtics beat ahead of everyone else we've been talking about this since training camp like this is, you yeah. know, you and I have been texting about this. We have. This, this is like the captain. I was worried about this. Yeah. Like this is, this is not so like, I can't believe it's taken this long half the season for this to be written about. Like, this, yeah. I mean, this has been a thing for months. Is this a concern? Is this, I know you're not inside. I'm not inside. We're just no. speculating like anybody else, but is, is this, are, are you just, I don't know, reading this thing? Are you feeling like this is a problem? So I was like super excited about this hire and, but, and then it was during the preseason, it was like all that, those moments where he's like talking to the media about effort a bunch. And he's like, there was that whole incident with smart. Like what, what did he like miss the flight or something? Yeah, and he missed like, the flight and suddenly he's like, not naming captains. All of a sudden I'm like, I'm here as like a person who's not in the locker room and like has no idea what's going on in the, t- like inside I'm hearing about this stuff all of a sudden. And that felt, that always just feels like a red flag to me. Like as someone who follows the NBA closely from outside of it, it's like when I'm hearing about like players, individual weird little screw ups, that seems like a bad locker, like a, a red, a a red flag for what the locker room is going to be like. So I was like worried about it. And then I like, I sort of stopped thinking about it because they like, all the internal reports kept saying that the players like kind of liked it or whatever. I just don't buy it that they do. I like, I don't buy that these guys, like every time you blow a game, you got to like hear about the effort. And I think the re it, it can't be a coincidence that these reports are coming out at the same time that it feels to me like in the last week, there's been a sea change in how he's, 
how Ime Udoka is talking to the media. Like, I feel like he is taking ownership over what's going on in his quotes a lot more in the last week than he has for the Basically, whole rest of the ever season. since he has, ever since he publicly questioned whether he needs to call a play. Yeah, ever since it, the next game press conference where I yeah. couldn't believe the press conference. I was the worst yeah. press conference I've ever seen. It was yeah. It was like he was talking. It was, it, it, he was talking about like making like, do I have to call a play? Do I have to make adjustments? And I was like, yeah, guy, that's your job. It's <laughs> on the job description, that man. A lot. It's done a lot. Like that's pretty much primarily what it is. And so, like that, I was texting both of you after that game. I was like, I cannot believe these quotes. I cannot. In the course of happened, <laughs> you had to miss that show. I felt so oh, yeah. bad. I was like, man, this is like the freaking COVID. Guy. <laughs> it was the worst show to miss because I was so fired up at the end of that game. And I, I honestly wish I had done it live after the game instead of the next morning because it would have been even crazier than it was. <laughs> but, like, I just could not believe the quotes that were coming out of his mouth. But to Seth's point, is like, it does seem that some tink- – like, and that's kind of always been my thing. Is like he is a first-time head coach. He needs to learn. He needs to figure things out. Like, he's going to understand that – and this is maybe where – all the, the Belichick disciples fall short, right? The the guys that have come after him to try and like they all stink at it, except for Mike Vrabel, who's amazing. Like they try and be Of course he wasn't a Belichick disciple. He only played for him. Played for him. That's the same thing. They learned the same culture there. Anyway, I have I have like my worry about this is the worry thing with a lot of um Popovich assistants is you know, can they do their own version of what pop does because you can't you can't just take a copy and paste without Popovich there it's never going to be the same it's not possible yeah. but you've seen guys like James Borrego do a really good job of instilling a culture in Charlotte that's a winning culture it's a great it's a fun team it's like everybody's favorite team to watch and they then they have something going like, we'll see how it progresses but they've at least got something they have at least have an identity with email like it seems like defense was always going to be his identity but it, like there was some things that were just really weird. And like, I just didn't understand it. And I'm trying to figure out, he's trying to find his place again with Seth's point. It, it seems like he's trying different things, whether it's speaking to the media or trying different lineups or running plays, right? All of these things are all new things that I think are really great. So I, as much as we kill email, we've done it a lot on this show. We've done it a lot on Twitter and a lot all over the place. I am encouraged a little bit by what we've seen recently in terms of their play uh, his his attitude to the meat and all that stuff. I think it's been nice. I'll just say though that one thing that makes me a little bit nervous, I like I'm ready to give this guy like I think it's like an incredibly hard job to come into and um I think he'll get better at it. I, I, I happen to think this team was like ready for a coach who didn't have that learning curve maybe. Like I think there's a lot of talent here. And it, it does, and it makes me nervous that like, that a lot of the adjustments that we're getting excited about over the past week are things that like, I, that Could have been like someone, day one. well, that someone as dumb as me was worried about at the beginning. Like I was worried about this Schroeder, like about sh- the ball sticking with Schroeder and about like, man, you, like you just, you can't have Ennis in the rotation. It just like, isn't going to work. Like this, these are like not things that people didn't see coming. So that that's a little tricky for me. I do want to say though, the coaching thing is like, like Borrego, like it does feel like Charlotte's got this great thing going on with Borrego, but this brings me back to like ball movement and passing and players feeling like they're a part of what's going on. I mean, like 
compared to you look up like time of possession stats and like how many got how many dribbles guys take and how long they hold the ball like Lamelo is a, a point guard who gets guys great shots and he does not hold the ball he gets off the ball and I think like I think that's a big like we might want to attribute a lot of good vibes to coaching but I think a lot of times it's about this other stuff it's like is Mike Malone like a is Michael Malone a great vibes coach or is Nikola Jokic like the most fun teammate who's like ever existed both. like I think it's both because Mike yeah Malone yeah coach in Sacramento and Sacramento like for some dumb reason yeah there were good yeah, vibes there he's too. gone like he's it doesn't make any sense but you're right the players has something to do with the two and Lamelo yeah. just seems like a top five player to to play with he seems uh, both Lamelo and Lonzo are, are fun as hell to play with they seem yeah. like that's the crazy thing about the Ball brothers is that despite their dad, you know, obviously being a, a pain in the ass for a long time, but he hasn't been recently, so they're fun to watch. They've always been fun to watch. Lonzo's UCLA teams were super fun to watch. But I, yeah. I'm not going to lie, after the Knicks game, I was like, you know, Mike D'Antoni might make – I mean, like, what be up to right now? Because I'm willing to go down that road right now. That's how low I am. This show powered in part by betonline.ag, actually entirely by betonline.ag. Here for this program, go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Hopefully you guys learned a lot. You know, we don't want to just hit you with a, a hot take show. We wanted to dive deep into some of the numbers, the analytics, and what the heck is going wrong with this squad and try and write that ship and move, I don't know, more than a game over 500 and hope obviously things continue to trend in the right direction. The trade deadline is right around the corner. It is February 10th. There have been names like, you know, a Daniel Tice reunion. I've seen Will Barton written about Kevin Herter, Justin Holiday, you know, so many others. Let's, let's just see. Let's see if any of this, as we get a little bit closer, we'll dive deeper into all of it. Obviously we'll have another show or two before the deadline gets here. We'll see if any of this is realistic but for now uh, i think we can just agree don't trade jason tatum don't trade Jalen brown don't Amen. trade robert williams don't trade marcus smart from there do whatever the heck you want and just hope you can get some value back evan valenti adam kaufman seth landman thanks for being with us buddy Happy thanks birthday, great to happy be birthday, here happy Kyle. birthday kaufman well thank you rate review subscribe leave us a kind comment even if it just says happy birthday we'll see you next week on celtics beat